Well, good morning, everybody. Um, we're just going to head into a, a bit of a teaching on that passage we heard before, and um, yeah, in line with the series we've been looking at it with Advent. Um, we just got this Sunday and, and next Sunday left in Advent, and then Christmas the following Saturday, so it's coming up pretty pretty soon. And then, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to a bit of a break after that and a bit of a holiday. And um, then in January, we actually have our um, wedding anniversary is on the 3rd of January, so we're going away for that, which would be nice. And we married seven years, which is pretty cool and exciting to celebrate. Um, and then, yeah, when we got married, we went on a honeymoon and went to Queenstown, New Zealand, which was, which was really awesome. And, um, yeah, just a beautiful place. Um, and it, w- it was in January, and so it was... It wasn't snowing, but it was still a little bit cold at times. And, and it's just like stacks of adventure stuff to do and stacks of activities to do in Queenstown. So we kind of spent a lot of time either eating food or just doing something fun. And um, one thing that we did was go bungee jumping. And, and I'd, I'd been bungee jumping before um, in Queenstown with my, with my brother, and, and it was really fun. And um, there was a really big one there that I wanted to do. I'd done the smaller one, and I wanted to do the really big one. It was over 100 meters it's in this valley. Um, they basically just created this wire um, building that's held up by a wire, and, and you get this little gondola out to it, and then you jump, and they actually have to pull you back up because they can't lower you down because it's so high. And um, yeah, I was really keen to, to do this, and I booked in with, with the hotel concierge, and um, was, I think it was for the next day or next couple of days. And, and then I was lying in bed at night um, thinking about it. <laughs> And thinking, why, why did I just book in to just go jumping off this building? <laughs> and started just to start to think about it a whole lot more and started to get afraid about it and, and ended up cancelling my booking. I thought, why would I do that? Like, and just, it got, just got overwhelmed by the, the fear and, and so I'm not going to do that. And then the next day, a couple went on and I thought about it some more and, and realised, no, I do want to do it. Um, but I just got a bit overwhelmed by fear. Um, so I booked in again and kind of tried not to think about it too much and uh, ended up getting the bus out there and, and arriving there and, and seeing it set up. And, and part of the thing is I sort of know that it's safe. It's a scary thing to do, but it's, it's actually very safe. Uh, it happens every day. It's these people's jobs. They know what they're doing. Um, and when I got there, I, I saw that. I saw people jump and they're fine and it's, there's no problem. And, and they, they're really careful with safety. They've never had any incidents. There's actually nothing to be worried about, um, but when I thought about it too much, it, it would sort of overwhelm me. Um, but when I got there, um, I guess in my mind, I, I could see it happening, I could see that it was okay, uh, but in my body, I was very afraid. And, and I remember going out on the gondola and sort of sitting there when they strap your legs together, and my whole body is shaking um, in fear. <laughs> but I was okay uh, in myself. I knew this, was, this would be fun and, and I was excited, but, but my body is like, you're not supposed to jump into a valley. <laughs> like, <laughs> don't do that. Um, but then um, got to the edge and, and jumped and I, it's just adrenaline, I guess, which is just what your body produces. But I was just so um, joyful afterwards and the fear just totally disappears. And I was just l- hanging down in this canyon, just full of joy and just not feeling afraid at all, and I've got a short little video you can, you can have a look, and you can just see like, just how pumped I am at, at the end of it. Um, if you just skip forward to the jump, Mel, a little bit. Yeah, that's it there.
yeah, you can, you can stop it there. Yeah, but basically, I'm just like hanging upside down in this, this canyon and just so excited and just not afraid. And, and again, it's just adrenaline. So it's just what your brain does. Um, but it was just this experience then after that of like, I could do anything. I was just like, like pumped after that for, for a little bit. And, but it was just this experience of, of trust and, and really needing to trust and, and step out. And then that actually leading to great joy. There was just this incredible joy that I had after that, that had to work through the fear, but the trust led to joy and, and even praise and, and just enjoyment of this, this awesome experience. Um, I kind of think that's similar to what's happening with Mary. Um, we're, we're looking at Mary's song today, and um, as we've already kind of mentioned, it, it's such a crazy story, right, that an angel appears to Mary and says, you're going to give birth to the Son of God. He's going to be the king. He's going to reign forever. And it's going to happen while you're a virgin. And there's, there's, there's so many complexities around that of, of, of having a baby, even just under Roman occupation, of having to travel to the census in the midst of that, but also the scandal of not yet being married and what that could mean. And then also the responsibility of raising the Son of God. Like what? That, that's such a crazy thing to think about. Um, but Mary's posture um, is one of trust and then one of great joy. Uh, so we're going to go through this, this song, um, that Mary's famous song. And, and it starts with this, this um, song of praise. She says, My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. It's just amazing that this is Mary's response. Um, in the story, when the angel first appears to her, she's afraid, and he says not to be afraid, and then tells her what's going to happen, and she has a question about that, and then her response is that she trusts and submits. This song is a little bit later after she's gone to visit Elizabeth, but you can see that she's not in this state of anxiety about what's going to happen, about how this is going to work, about, about what does it mean to look after the Son of God, and all the complexity and, and, and opposition and suffering that could come with that. She's in this posture of joy and adoration and praise. And I think it partly comes from her trust in God and her view of God. She's even quite unique um, among other biblical characters because she has an incredible call that she's been, things she's been called to and an assignment that she's been given by God. And she just receives it, trusting it's interesting because even in the story just before, as, as we heard with Zechariah, who's a priest who should know better, who should know God's power, when he's told that they're going to have a child in their old age, he doubts and he questions. And he's the one who should understand. Whereas Mary is really a nobody. She's not a priest. Um, she seems to know the scriptures, but she's not of high standing in the community or anything. But God favors her. And when God says she's going to not have a child in her old age, which has happened before in the Bible, like she's going to have a child without being married at all, and he's going to be the son of God. And she just receives it and says, yes, I'm your servant. Um, similar to Abraham, I suppose. God speaks to Abraham and he believes him. But there's many characters in the Bible when God speaks and they don't. Um, even great characters in the Bible like Moses. Um, God appears to Moses miraculously with this great calling to, to lead the people out of Israel. And Moses says he's not very good at talking and what am I going to say and how's it going to work? And, oh, God, can you just send someone else? <laughs> like, is Moses' attitude. Um, whereas Mary is just like, yes. I'll do what you want, God. 
um, Gideon as well, Saul, others. There's many in the Bible that when they receive this call, they, they resist it rather than simply trusting and receiving it. Um, whereas Mary just says, I'm the Lord's servant. If that's what the Lord wants, I trust Him. I think there's something we can learn from Mary in our own lives to trust in and praise God even for His calling on our lives. Um, obviously, we're not called to be the mother of the Son of God, um, but we are all called um, to follow Jesus, and we receive the Spirit, and we're all given gifts, and we're all given assignments and things that God wants us to do, and even the callings to raise our families or to be friends or to represent Jesus in all different ways, some that we're all called to and some that specifically will be your call. And how do we respond to it? Do we tend to respond when God calls us to something with, I'm the Lord's servant, trusting, humble submission, and even praise that God would want to use us? And Mary just seems amazed that God has chosen her and sees it as a great privilege, even though it's a great responsibility. Or when God calls us, do we argue with Him and sort of think, no, this is not good. Um, Why are you picking me? This is a bad idea. Like, I've done that. I've told that to God. This is a bad idea. <laughs> but, and maybe that we kind of think that's something humble about that, like, like to say, no, God, like, you shouldn't use me. Like, you should pick someone else. Like, we kind of think that that's humble, but maybe it's not. Like, the humble thing is the way Mary responds. I'm the Lord's servant. If, God, if that's what you want, God, then yes. If it's a great thing, if it's a small thing, whatever it is, if you want to choose me, then yes. That's the humble response. And even is a wholehearted response because she doesn't accept it as a cross and a burden that she has this responsibility to raise the Son of God and, and oh, why did this happen to me? Like, it's going to, in some ways, ruin her life, in some ways, make it more difficult, her life. But she doesn't see it in that way. She sees it as an abundant blessing on her life, that she's incredibly blessed that God would choose her, that God would use her, that God would trust her with that job. So she sees the call of God not as a burden, but actually as a joy and a reason to praise. And I think it's partly, as we see in the song, because of her view of God. What she says about him in her song is that he is her savior. He is the mighty one. He is the holy one. He is the one who favors her. He is the one who's working in and through her. So if that's all true, she doesn't need to be anxious. How's this going to work? What's going to happen? She doesn't need to be anxious. Because the Holy One, the Mighty One, the Savior is the one who started this and is calling her and providing for her. So she just loves and praises God. I think it's a similar principle for us as well. If, if we feel called by God to something, and often He calls us to things that are beyond what we can do, things that are difficult, things that we couldn't do without Him. And if we focus on ourselves, it produces a lot of anxiety. <laughs> If God calls us to something that we can't do, and then we think we need to make it work, we have to figure it out, we have to protect ourselves, we have to figure things out, we have to make it happen. It's incredibly overwhelming. But if instead, He calls us to something beyond ourselves, and like Mary, we see that it's actually God who's the Savior, the Mighty One, the Holy One, the One who's working and wants to use us, then we don't need to be afraid. There's no reason to be anxious. And again, this is a challenge to me, um, but maybe to others, just to to shift maybe how we even see calling and God's voice and God's leading. Do do we see it as a burden when God calls us to something, or as a great joy and a great privilege and reason to praise Him? Do we sort of say, no, God, send someone else, (laughs) in kind of a bit of a false humility, 
Or do we say, I'm the Lord's servant and trust and then experience joy in the midst of that? So that's the first part of the song. But then Mary goes on and, and she starts with this um, praise for what's happening to her. But then she starts to talk more broadly about what God is doing in the earth and his ways and how in some ways the, the fact that God chose Mary shows the way that he works in the world. She starts to say this, His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. What she's talking about is actually just what's been happening in the story. Um, Zechariah is a priest. Again, he's someone that we would think would be honored. Someone who in the society in the time was exalted. In the story, he's humbled. He's actually not even able to speak because he wasn't actually in a posture of faith. Whereas Mary, someone who's a nobody in society, someone you wouldn't pick to be the mother of the, the Son of God to this incredibly high calling, she is exalted uh, because of her trust and, and humble dependence on, on God. And then what she says in this story is that that's how God works in the world. He's taking those on the bottom and flipping everything. He's, he's turning things upside down. That's actually how he works. Um, he's not coming into the world, as we know in the Christmas story, and coming to the king and coming to the powerful, and coming to the rich. He comes to shepherds. He's born in a stable. And actually, he's undermining the authorities and the rulers in the world in the way that he does that, by his actions and by his choice. He's actually undermining it. Um, and he's actually working in ways that are hidden. Um, no, he's not announcing it to the people in power, but to the people that are not in power. So it means it's more hidden. But in doing it, it he's, he's humbling those in power. Um, the fact that he's working through Mary, even, is overturning the status quo. Like, that's not who we would think to pick. And again, human wisdom may think that that's a bad idea to pick Mary. Like, maybe it's better to pick someone with more resources, someone with more influence, someone with more power, um, someone with more education. But God's plan is to disrupt the status quo with his wisdom, not to affirm human wisdom to actually undermine human wisdom with his wisdom. So we can actually, in a similar way, trust in and praise God for his wisdom. That actually he works in a way in the world that's quite different to how we would naturally think. We would probably not make the kind of plans to enter the world that God does in the Christmas story. Like every year we kind of comment on how profound it is that he appears to shepherds, that he's born in a stable, it's this, this sort of dirty place, um, it's not with powerful people, and, and that's not what we would choose, right? If we wanted to influence the world and save the world, we would probably not pick that. Um, but that, that's the whole point, all right? It's actually our wisdom that's upside down. Human wisdom is not true wisdom. God's wisdom is, and actually the ways that God works is to undermine human wisdom, to undermine the rules and authorities, and actually establish His kingdom. Tim Mackey puts it this way, everything is backward in Luke's story. He is showing how God's kingdom was first revealed in these dirty places among the poor, because Jesus is here to bring salvation by turning our world order upside down. And Mary sees, in some ways, the fact that she's chosen as an example of this, that, that God is exalting the humble. He's humbling the proud. He's turning things upside down. And actually, in his 
what the ways that he's entering the world will reflect his kingdom message that he preaches, and then even his life and his death. This is all reflective of God's kingdom. Um, so this this song of Mary is not just about her, but about God's bigger kingdom vision. And in a similar way, we might say, if God calls us to things like, "Why are you calling me?" I, I'm weak, or I don't have resources, or I'm not someone that I would think would be called to this thing. And in God's wisdom, that's kind of the point. He wants to use people who are weak, who are unlikely, who are not powerful, who are not influential, who wouldn't be chosen, because it shows that it's Him at work, and He's lifting up those on the bottom and humbling those who are independent on Him or prideful toward Him. His heart of compassion actually comes to exalt and to turn things upside down. So in a similar way, a question I suppose for us to ask is, is when we look at the world and the ways that God is at work in the world, do, do we expect that He works according to human wisdom? Do we expect that He would do things the way that we think they should be done? Or do we recognize that actually His wisdom is totally different? He's actually here to turn things upside down and actually undermine human wisdom and establish His kingdom. Actually, you might look at the world and, and, and even as, as Ian was saying before in the history of um, God's people before Jesus came may be overwhelmed with empires and rulers and, and wars and think, well, what's God doing? He should just deal with those. But in His wisdom, He comes hidden ways, in small ways, using the poor in spirit and the meek and the humble and the persecuted. And by doing that, He's actually turning everything on its head. So this, we can trust Him and praise Him as well for His wisdom in the way that He works in the world. Then the song finishes, as, as we heard before as well, with this reference back to the history of Israel. Mary says, He has helped His servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as He promised our ancestors. Mary is encountering God's goodness to her li- in her life and in her story and in her call and the responsibility in her life, but it's a part of the biggest story that's been going on for generations and a part of the promises to Abraham and the promises through um, God's story. And the whole story of the Bible is a story of God's faithfulness in the midst of His people's unfaithfulness. They're unfaithful again and again. Israel is unfaithful again and again. In our own lives, we, we know that's true as well. But the truth is, the story is about God's faithfulness, that actually He keeps His promises. Actually, He will do what He has said. And he made this promise to Abraham that he would bless the world um, through this people Israel. And even though they're unfaithful, he comes as the true Israelite Jesus to fulfill the promises and bring blessing to the whole world. And uh, in many ways, this um, promise of this baby to be born is the start of the fulfillment of all of these promises. So Mary then, I think, is not looking forward from like a blank slate. God's given this job of raising the Son of God and having this miraculous birth. She's not just looking forward in anxiety and how's that going to work. She's looking back and realizing God has been faithful for generations. This is a sign again of His faithfulness. There's this large resource of the character of God that's proven. And from that position, she can look forward and say, well, God will be faithful in the future. He's been faithful this far. He'll be faithful again. And in a similar way, we can also trust in and then praise Him for His faithfulness. Through the story of the Bible, through church history, He's been faithful in our own stories and lives. If you reflect back, you can often see the faithfulness of God. Yet it's easy to forget. Um, It's easy to focus on ourselves. 
It's easy to focus on our circumstances. It's easy to focus on the future and forget what he has done and that he's done it again and again and again. And we actually don't need to be afraid. Um, We can actually take confidence, not in our circumstances, not in ourselves, but actually in God's character. His character is our confidence. And as Ian, as you were sharing before, just as Jesus said he would come the first time, and he did. He has said he will come again, and he will. Just as he raised Jesus from the dead, and he did. He will raise us again, and he will. There's, there's no need to fear or be uncertain, because he's a God who does what he says. And he's shown it again and again. So if we're worried about the world, or worried about the church, or worried about the kingdom, what are we actually worried about? Like, like, are we worried that the whole thing's just going to fall flat? Like, that the story's just going to end? That God's not going to win? Like, like what, what are we actually worried about? When, when they're worried in the story, um, the angels again and again say, don't be afraid. Right? God is in control. He's working in history. He is faithful. There's actually nothing to be afraid of. If we're afraid of worried about the world and the church or the kingdom, there's, there's no need to worry. Psalm 145, verse 13. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all He promises and faithful in all He does. It's not on us, right? Like, we need to be faithful as well. But if we're not, He's still going to be faithful. He's still going to work His plans. He's still going to win in the end. There's actually nothing to be afraid of. We actually just get to trust in Him. So I suppose if we find ourselves overwhelmed or afraid, the question again is, where are we looking? If we're looking at the world, if we're looking at our weaknesses, if we're placing our confidence in ourselves or in humans, it's going to be uncertain. But if we place it in the character of God, that's been proven again and again, there's peace. And we can actually say, the Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. He's faithful. We can trust Him. So I think Mary's song is, is just this awesome song of a woman who is just enthralled with God. She's not overwhelmed by the responsibility in this song, or the call, or the difficulties that may be present. She's just overwhelmed that God is at work in her life in an incredibly powerful way, and has called her to a great thing. We see this as well with Elizabeth, um, who's in wonder and rejoices when Mary comes to visit. And there's this awesome picture here of Elizabeth, an old lady who wasn't going to be able to have children, who by the power of the Holy Spirit is now pregnant. And she's with a young woman, maybe very, very young and not the person that you would expect who's now pregnant earlier than expected, miraculously. And they're together, they're both unexpected mothers, and they're caught up in the story of God, and they're rejoicing by the power of the Spirit. And it's just this beautiful picture, because it could have been different, right? Like, Elizabeth could have been maybe bitter or jealous or resentful at Mary. She's waited all this time, and then it just happens for Mary so easily. Mary may have been proud, right? She's younger, and she's actually the mother of Jesus, but we don't see that at all. Tom Wright puts it this way, Mary's visit to Elizabeth is a wonderful human portrait of the older woman, pregnant at last after hope gone, and the younger one pregnant far sooner than she had expected. That might have been a moment of tension, Mary might have felt proud, Elizabeth perhaps resentful. Nothing of that happens. Instead, the intimate details, John three months before his birth, leaping in the womb at Mary's voice, and the Holy Spirit carrying Elizabeth into shattered praise and Mary into song. 
Underneath it all is a celebration of God. God has taken the initiative. God, the Lord, the Savior, the powerful one, the holy one, the merciful one, the faithful one. God is the ultimate reason to celebrate. There's this beautiful picture of old and young celebrating God together by the power of the Spirit, actually rejoicing in the ways God is working in each generation. I think there's a message for us in this as well. I think there's an encouragement um, to the oldies in our church um, that God is not done with you, that the Spirit is not limited by age, that God can do powerful things in old age, and He may want to work in your life in surprising ways. And there's a need not to write yourself off, but actually be open to God. Not saying, I'm too old, but actually trusting God that he may want to work in powerful ways. There's an encouragement to young people. God may actually want to work powerfully even earlier than you expect. Uh, He may be working in surprising ways and new ways, and saying that you're too young is not um, the, the right response, but actually to be open, that God actually may want to use you while very young. God may want to work through the kids in ways that we might not expect or think that he would. There's also a challenge, um, I guess, for the oldies not to give in to resentment at younger generations, not to limit God's work to the past, but rejoice in the ways that God was at work in the past, but also the ways that He might be at work into the future. And it's a challenge for younger people that if God is at work in our lives, not to be proud um, or discount older generations, but with humble praise, rejoice that the Spirit is at work in all generations. He's at work across all our lives, not just in the young, not just a particular generation, not just a particular person. Even the story that Mary sings is not really a story about her. It's a story about God and the fact that God is at work in her. God is at work in the world. God has been at work in the past, and He will be at work in the future. There's this great verse, again, from Psalm 145. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. And this picture of Elizabeth and Mary is like that. They're commending God's works to each other. They're rejoicing that God is at work in each other. And in different ways, they're not comparing God's work with each other. They're not judging God's work with each other. They're commending God's work to each other because they're both caught up in the joy of the same God. So as we respond today, um, let's encourage you to... um, consider Mary's song, and maybe consider where you're at now, and and perhaps sensing God call in a certain way, and it could be producing anxiety, Um, or or, um, sensing maybe that God doesn't want to use me anymore, um, and maybe kind of resisting. Just encourage us to just take a moment, and then I'm just going to pray again this this response that Mary has, uh, this beautiful, submissive response I'm the servant of the Lord. May your word be fulfilled to me. So let's take a moment and then, then we'll pray. Thank you, Lord, that you are trustworthy and you are faithful. Even when we're afraid, um, that doesn't show or represent the truth, that there's no reason to be afraid because you're our Father and our King 
can place all our confidence in you and your character. Just ask, God, in the ways that you are calling us as individuals, as a church, we ask for grace to trust you and actually rejoice in you, the ways that you want to work in and through us in your wisdom, and you want to demonstrate your faithfulness. Pray that you'd unite us as cross-generations and move powerfully and birth new things through the oldies, God, and birth new things through the young. Give us grace to commend your works to each other and to be caught up in your story. Just pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks. <clears throat> Thanks, Tim. Love the bunch.